with the first pick. We are back with another episode of the Daft on Draft podcast, and now we're sitting about a month away from the draft, so we are closing in uh, on game time here. So we're in crunch time. Uh, again, I'm up to, I think, probably about 130 reports done so far, and I'm hoping to drop a, a draft guide in uh, in a, a, few, a few weeks here. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Devin as well again. As always, Devin and I are here to co-pilot. This. Devin, how are you tonight? Good, man. I've been uh, trying to grind through some more reports and grind through some more tape trying to get to some some guys that that either I liked earlier in their careers or you know tweet about or or notice in the last year or two uh and trying to revisit some of those guys so uh Mountain West dudes um some some Big Ten dudes some Rutgers players uh checking out Avery Young Christian Isian I think Isian uh tested Mm -hmm. pretty well at his uh pro day so just just trying to get the numbers up, man, uh, and trying to round out some of these reports. Uh, so it's it's that time of year. You're just every day you're just like waking up I'm like, all right, I got to get to this dude, this dude, and, and just try to knock them all out. Yeah, I'm at the point where I'm like, all right, I have if I, if three per day. I can be done by this day. Give me three days to edit. And so that's the kind of mindset I'm in right now, too. It's it's a it's a grind time. It's 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 uh, the best time of the year, though, because, you know, the procrastination procrastinator in me it happens every year i'm like all right again three per day puts me at this number by this date and i can start editing but that's where we're at so uh but this is also our last positional rankings episode as well and it's quarterbacks again saving the best for last the most position most important position in professional sports we're talking quarterbacks and Devin and i agreed this week that since you know everybody's top five quarterbacks are pretty much the same uh, pretty much the same top five quarterbacks in some order. <clears throat> top four are pretty much the same in some order. So we're not gonna not gonna drop our rankings. We will have our rankings at the end. But what we decided would be a better episode again because we're we know the five names. We know we know Levis. We know Richardson. We know Young. We know Stroud. We know those guys. What we want to do instead is have discourse, break it into clumps. And we'll talk about the differences, our differences between Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, which one we prefer. And then we'll talk about our differences in CJ Stroud versus Bryce Young and who we prefer before we drop our rankings. Again, it's just the best way to talk about quarterbacks without just regurgitating the same information. So, um, Devin, we, we can go and start with you again. Just talk a little bit about who you prefer uh, and why between Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. Yeah, so this one's a tough one because, like, I like both quarterbacks. I I think for me it's like I know some people just don't like Anthony Richardson or just don't like Will Levis. Like, they are on that those side of the fences. But I actually like both quarterbacks and can see kind of the path to success for both of them. Uh, but just to start off, I, I prefer Anthony Richardson. But um, for me, I I really actually really like Will Levis's ability to throw over the middle of the field. Um, and, and attack the middle of the field. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised about kind of the, the ability not one to do that, and then two the accuracy he throws with. It's probably his most accurate throw, throwing those slants, throwing those um, dig routes, um, you know, throwing those crossing routes, uh, checkdowns, etc. 
Uh, it's probably his most successful uh, throw that he has. Um, and I actually checked out earlier in the week that ESPN, they do like this big analytics breakdown of each quarterback. Um, and unsurprisingly, Levis was the best at throwing over the middle of the field. The problem is with Levis is that every everywhere else is inconsistent. The deep ball is inconsistent in terms of the placement, uh, how far he throws it, how he can lead a receiver, um, even like uh, throw, even like routine quick throws out to the flat. Um, he can sail them, um, and and just the the inconsistency reading the field. Um, I think there was too many times where um, he predetermined where he was going to throw the ball, um, even though there was uh, like too high coverage, like against Georgia. When Keely Ringo got the interception, he predetermined that he was going to throw it, um, you know, into the boundary against Ringo and a, a rotating safety. Um, you know, even going back to last year's tape against South Carolina, there was a predetermined uh, post throw he made that got intercepted. If he would have taken an extra hitch step in the pocket uh, and threw over the middle of the field, he could have hit the dig. So for me, with Levis, it's like I, I could see him thriving in play action, play action, quick, quick throws. Um, you know, really uses mobility to to roll him out of the pocket and do those types of things. Uh, even some con- in some uh, drop back concepts where he's he's making quick one, two to three reads um, in the short side of the field. I thought he did a really good job. But the problem is that consistency, like throwing over the middle of the field and short routes just don't carry over into the other aspects of this game. And he just doesn't feel pressure very well. Um, I thought too many times he the pockets were collapsing and he just didn't have that internal clock to, uh, you know, get moving and move out of the pocket. And on the flip side for me with Anthony Richardson, I think he can do all those things that I talked about. Will Levis is struggling with the ability to to feel and navigate the pocket, um, manipulate throwing windows, uh, moving safeties to to throw in uh, to tighter windows over the middle of the field. Um, you know, spraying throws from from across the hash to the far sideline. Um, the 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 vertical routes, obviously, uh, that that vertical throw he had against Georgia over Keely Ringo's outstretched hands. So you see that ability. The Tennessee game, he has some nice pocket manipulation. So you see that ability. Uh, obviously, we know what he does as a runner. But for me, like with Anthony Richardson, it's just about reps, man. It's about getting him more playing time, getting him on the field more. And and getting him more comfortable in doing those things routinely. Um, the footwork, obviously, it can get jumbled in the pocket. Uh, it can be inconsistent. But you see him be able to do, even though he struggles with those things, he still makes uh, pretty crazy throws uh, on a routine basis. Uh, completion percentage aside, you know, uh, Woody did turnover-wise aside, uh, when you look at him, like play to play, snap to snap, he just needs consistency, snap to snap. But all the tools that you need for a quarterback to start an NFL and be successful with his type of skill set, he he definitely checks the boxes. So for me, like I see the the path for both players, and that's why I don't dislike either quarterback. But I think with Anthony Richardson, obviously you're banking on that he'll get more reps, he'll develop further. And and there's proof in, in him developing over the course of a season. Um, but but with Levis, it's some of those same concerns he had in 21, he didn't really answer in 22 for me. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think that's spot on. Um, just to add on, you know, my thoughts to that as well as, 
a lot of it comes down to pocket maneuvering and pocket work for me between the two as well. Like both of them have, have hoses for arms. Obviously, Anthony Richardson is an alien. Will Levis isn't as athletic as, as Anthony Richardson is, but Will Levis is, is, is plenty capable of, of creating outside of structure. He's, he's plenty capable of tucking the ball and running and picking up positive yards, and he's not afraid to, to lower his shoulder. Uh, both of them have questionable decision-making at times. Um, so I, I, I do think they are fairly similar prospects, uh, you know, and kind of like the when you're checking boxes, you know, uh, like what I just talked about, decision-making, pocket work, these kinds of things. Uh but the pocket work is actually where I, I disagree the most. Like, I think Anthony Richardson is probably one of the cleaner pocket players in the class. Like, some of the work he does navigating murky pockets and stepping up into murky pockets and delivering throws through a like a different arm slot to to manipulate passing windows is is high level stuff. Like, it's it's really high level stuff. And I just feel like when I feel like Will Levis has pressure around him, like his feet get real happy. I don't think he, he navigates pressure real well. And I, and I think it really clouds his judgment. And there's a sense of urgency that ticks off in his mind when, when he feels pressure. Um, and so I, I don't see the same amount of poise uh, when, you know, he's forced to step up when he's forced to, to kind of elude pressure and, and maneuver pockets. Um, but again, it is, but when we're talking about Richardson and Levis, like what it really comes down to for me outside of that is like, I'm going to take the alien man. Like I'm taking the alien. 10 out of 10 times. So uh, again, I do see a pathway for both, but uh, what, what scares me, I think a little bit more about Richardson or not Richardson as about Levis as well, is that, you know, 2020 play action really took off in the NFL. Like everybody was doing play action. The, the Browns went to the playoffs with Baker Mayfield, just pretty much throwing play action first read, you know, second defenses in and, and, and having that, that, that schemed open look there. Um, and then 2021, 2022 defenses got us, nosy against play action and, and, and kind of, you know, they adapted. And so if, if you are a play action quarterback or we're talking about, you know, you translate best into a, you know, a wide zone play action, heavy scheme, like <sighs> starting to see that as a little, a little bit of a red flag, you know, last year, the running game was effective as, as it's been in recent years too. So, you know, now the running game is, you know, uh, is effective again, you know, it's all, it's all cyclical. So it's going to come back at some point, but well, right now I'm saying, man, I, I would really prefer somebody who isn't dependent on on heavy play action. Um, and so those are the main differences for me between Richardson and Levis. Uh, and it, again, it comes down to pocket work and give me the alien. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I think at the end of the day, Richardson is is he's not he's not the same as any other quarterback in this class. And frankly, over the last couple of years, you know, I know Justin Fields was was a uh, really good athlete coming out too, but. Um, I mean, just Anthony Richardson's build, the ability to to score from 80 yards out as as a runner. I mean, everything is just um, it's insane. So can't disagree with that. And I agree on Lev- the point about Levis. You know, like, all right, we know what you can do and what you thrive in, but can you adapt to uh, the way the NFL is trending and and be a a better dropback passer? And I think that kind of remains to be seen. And um. We'll see what team ends up um, picking them up and and what happens with that. But yeah, Richardson for me uh, is is ahead of Levis uh, as as is with you. Um, we'll let you go first on on this next debate, uh, the one that uh, it seems like it's it's for at least for Panthers fans is certainly a uh, a, div- a divisive uh, topic. Uh, C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young. Um, the two top quarterbacks in this class. 
what separates uh, them and, and, you know, who's your top guy between the two? Yeah, man, at this point, you know, it, it really comes down to a lot of user flavor. Like, I will say uh, I think DJ Stroud is the best quarterback in structure of of any college quarterback that's probably that absolutely has come out in the past two years um easily easily uh and then with bryce with bryce young we're we're talking about a guy who boy especially in 2022 uh had to create his own structure he was the structure of the alabama offense that i mean that's the worst offensive line i've ever seen bama field that's the worst set of skill position players i've ever seen bama field in 2022 so um you know a lot of it was bryce young having to extend uh, having to work his eyes as he as he's extending and giving his receivers extra time to kind of find green grass to get to. So um, it really comes down to a lot of flavor. And again, size is a talking point. And I, I I understand the merit of it. He is an outlier. Like his size is definitely an outlier for quarterback position. Uh, there's no way he's playing at 204 or whatever he weighed in at the combine. Like there's there's just no way that's going to be his play weight. Um, I think arm talent is, is probably, I mean, I'd give the, the bump to Stroud, but I don't think it's by a significant margin when we're talking about arm talent. Uh, definitely a huge bump to, to Young when we're talking about the ability to extend, the ability to use uh, legs. Not so much that I think that Young is a, is a much better athlete, but C.J. Stroud uh, showed the willingness to just be a much more pocket passer, and and not until really the Georgia game, a little Michigan game too, but the last two games of his career to be really decide like, oh, I, I guess I'll use my legs a little bit and try to extend here. And, and he really well in those games when he was forced to when he was forced to, to extend plays and work outside of structure so i think it's definitely in his wheelhouse but like there was such a hesitancy and an willingness for so long like you kind of have to mark it down as as like a yeah he can but we, um i think i, I tend to lean stroud though um again bigger arm just man his pre-snap work and post-snap work is, is just so freaking good man like his eyes are unbelievable uh, accuracy like he's he's the most accurate quarterback the past two years as well. Um, geez, and uh, his ability to just pin and, and and he calls himself he calls himself a place uh, a placement surgeon or whatever. I don't even know what he combined, but something like that. And like just watching the Utah game in the Rose Bowl, like some of those over the shoulder, over the outside shoulder on those like routes towards the pond are just unreal. And he did it like three or four times in one game. Just um. And if we're, we're talking about a guy like who do I feel more comfortable with day one coming in? I, I mean, they both run, you know, a lot of NFL concepts. So, you know, I, I probably feel comfortable with both, but um, I feel more comfortable with Stroud. Uh, again, his ceiling's not going to be as high as Young, but but his floor is sky. He's he's got a sky high floor. Like I don't see I don't see a pathway to busting out of the NFL. I, I just I think he's be a decade long starter, even if it's you know, what you see is what you get. Uh, but you're, you, I don't think anybody takes Stroud is gonna is gonna miss on that pick. So I, I gotta go with that. Yeah, for me, Stroud has a, a just a slight edge over Young. Um, man, Bryce Young is, is he's had some memorable moments though. I, I kind of think back to uh just some of the signature moments and, and what he's been able to do and what he had, was able to do in, in twenty twenty two um you know with the subpar um supporting cast uh compared to Bama standards and I mean even the games they lost they were within a possession or a few points uh of winning the game and it w- they didn't lose because of him. He he played uh about as well as he can. Obviously because he allowed the onus was on him and to to take chances and create uh that led to some mistakes but 
I think that's just him kind of playing hero ball for Bama and and just having to create and and having to manufacture offense, uh, especially when the running game, especially down the the stretch of the season, just wasn't as dynamic as it was earlier in the season with uh, Jameer Gibbs and McClellan and some of those other running backs. So uh, for me, the the creativity he has outside of the pocket, uh, his ability to, um, you know, create when there's nothing there, uh, create passing lanes for himself, I think are all check marks for him. Uh, but with Stroud, man, I, he just really sealed it for me when I went to the semifinal game and what he was able to do to create with his legs, something that he didn't really do much in his career and um, be pinpoint accurate and, and throw on the run and throw accurately. Uh, it's something that even when he did it in the limited times uh, during the season, uh, earlier in the season, he still was able to have pinpoint accuracy. It was like a, a crazy dot that he had against Notre Dame where he escaped and, and threw it on the sideline. So with Stroud, like, yeah, it's probably not going to be his calling card at the NFL level, but <clears throat> now we know he can actually do it and, and do it at a, at a pretty high level. So I think now there's no excuse that he can't do it at the NFL level or, you know, it's a huge negative for him. Still something to notice, obviously, and, and to note, but I think with Stroud is just, the accuracy is just, just never wanes under pressure accurate. You know, um, I think uh, what I talked about earlier when ESPN's charting against like some of the analytics they had Stroud was the best against the blitz um, and the most accurate against the blitz. So um, I think that the calm demeanor that he has, even when he's under pressure, um, even when uh, there are two, three, uh, two, three guys in a window that he's throwing into uh, everything with his, his throwing ability is confident, accurate, uh, has a really good arm, um, and and I just enjoy how he uh, moves defenders with his eyes. How he's able to, um, you know, place the ball exactly where he wants. It feels like every pass he throws, I never feel like it's a touch behind or uh, a touch too far. Everything is it's like hitting dudes on on the numbers, uh, outstretch outstretch hands. Um, so the the placement and uh, overall accuracy to me just edges out young because I think. At times, Young was a little sporadic in in, ter- in terms of some of his accuracy, especially uh, when he was pressing a little bit uh, when he was behind in games. Um, thought that you know kind of caused him to to not be as accurate, not be as um, sound mechanically, uh, just trying to make plays out of out of structure. So for me, I think Stroud gets the the edge here. And honestly, I think whoever you know takes Stroud or takes Young, uh, assuming they go one and two. Um, I think they're they're both going to be be set up for for success down the road, uh, just based on their skill sets and and everything that they do is is translatable to the NFL. It doesn't feel like anything's like gimmicky or, um, you know, overall just you know didn't feel like it it translates to NFL level. So I thought they both have NFL level accuracy. Uh, obviously, uh, Young being the the better uh, out of out of structure and and off platform, but I think. Uh, Stroud can hold his own in that area too. Yeah, so I think throughout this discussion, I think we're gonna, we're going to have the exact same top five quarterbacks here, um, based on you know everything we just said. But uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. You know, five Hendon Hooker, um, four Will Levis, three Anthony Richardson, two Bryce Young, one CJ Stroud, uh, Devin, and it sounds like you've got the same going. Yep, on. yep. Hooker <laughs> at five, uh, Levis at four, Richardson at three. Um, young at two and Stroud at one. Let's talk. I guess we, we need to talk about Hendon Hooker then. If, if we're both going to mention his name at number five, at least a little bit, just mention Hendon Hooker. 
Um, by all accords and all accounts, he is completely killing the pre-draft process. You know, the word out of Mobile was he's interviewing well with any teams. It's a big thing for him to go down there, even if he's not participating and meet with teams and and be with the, be with the, the other players down there and 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 coach up the other quarterbacks he's in the room with and all these other things like. Uh, and then at the combine, the same, you know, he's blowing teams with interviews, things like, that. And, um, you know, I, I tend to think, even though I think there's a lot of, of lapses in his game, you know, a very, oof, not translatable offensive scheme, I think his accuracy is a little bit iffy all over the field, uh, speed, I think are, are pretty heavy. So I, I do think there's some deficiencies in his game, but also think if he didn't get hurt, he'd be a guy that probably like somebody would take, would have taken first round. Uh, even despite all that, I prop that that's not a bet I would have made, even at a healthy hand and hooker, but I think somebody probably would have. Um, but what do you think, like his ideal range? How high do you think he's worked himself up to, even despite that, that late season injury? And, and what kind of, like, who do you see as a team that, that might draft hand and hooker? Man, it, it's a tough one because it's like, all right, who's going to draft him one? Because obviously the age. Um, he's 25 and I think he's going to be 26 when he gets to NFL. Um, so that's, I think that's the, the big question. Number one is, uh, do teams have those thresholds and, and would that even constitute a first round pick? I don't think he's a first round pick. Obviously there's been some buzz around him going first round, uh, especially heating up the last couple of weeks after he, uh, appeared in a first round mock lately. Um, but for me, <sighs> I don't know, man. I, I think I see him more as like a maybe in the forties, fifties range. I could see him going like a Jalen Hurts type of range. We I think he went like forty seven to the Eagles or something like that. So I that's why I would see off the top of my head. Um, in terms of landing spots, I don't know, man. I've seen Seattle thrown around a little bit. Um, obviously they got Gino locked in, but I think for me is like, if you're going to select him, like, are you going to like redshirt him? And then by the time he actually starts NFL, he's 27. So that, that's kind of my biggest holdup. So, I mean, off the top of my head, maybe the Seahawks or someone that's interested in uh, a bit of a long-term quarterback that, you know, you don't have to pay a ton after, if you let Gino walk after a couple of years, um, I thought Tampa for a little bit, but I mean their their quarterback situation is kind of a mess. With got Kyle Trask, Baker Mayfield uh, already there, and I don't know. I can't see them adding another quarterback in the mix. Um, depending, Caleb on... Williams, you are a Tampa Bay. <laughs> yeah, they they are on uh, Caleb Williams watch. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. I mean, the the Vikings one. I don't. I can't really see that just based on. How they they drafted like drafted younger players versus like an older guy like Hooker, so I'm trying to like go through like theater, theoretical mindset. Would the Lions be interested in drafting a guy like him if, if Goff isn't going to be long term starter, or would they just take Richardson uh, in that top five six area? So I don't know, man. Uh, I'm just throwing teams out at this point. I'm trying to think of other quarterback need teams. Maybe the Saints. If they they want to have Carr in for a couple of years, but then again, that's another muddy quarterback situation. They signed Carr for a four year deal. They got back Winston for a year deal, for a one year deal. So would, would they consider taking him? Maybe 
but I, it's still not ideal. I mean, theoretically, if you have Carr play two more years, uh, he's 28 when he actually plays. So it's like there's so many things you can can like go back and forth with thinking with Hooker, like who would play, who would be, you know, who would he fit with? And and I don't know, man. Um, maybe Tennessee. I don't know. I'm just throwing teams out at this point. Uh, I know Tennessee isn't ideal spot, but I mean they they have Willis on a roster, and, and it doesn't seem like they're having him as a long term option. Uh, obviously, still have Tannehill too. So I don't know. I feel like any any room he joins, he could be the QB three like this year. And and just a redshirt year, maybe he competes for it. But I don't see him being a star until maybe year two or three. But then he's he's twenty seven, twenty eight years old before he takes a a, a starting NFL snap. So it's a tough it's a, it's a tough one, man. But I, I could see like forty the forties fifty range, um, a team just wanting to to get decent value for him, and you know, obviously not have to worry about the the fifth year option or, but maybe a team does want to do that. So I think it's a fascinating discussion, but I think the forties is where I would be comfortable taking them. Yeah, that's a good point. That's earlier than I was, I was going to say like the, the Malik Willis, the, uh, the Davis Mills, the Kellen Mond kind of rage, like early third round is kind of where I was looking, especially with that injury. But again, I, I, I could see, I mean, if we're going through, like, the Jets have the 42nd and 43rd pick. They might not have either picks in a week from now. We have this Aaron Rodgers thing finally ends. Um, I think Jets kind of make a little sense in the mid-40s right there, maybe. Um, well, I don't know what Washington quarterback, like, I think they're, they keep putting themselves in a position where they're just going to finish, like, 15th or 16th in the league every year. They're going to miss the playoffs, but they're not going to put themselves in a good position to get a quarterback. So, uh, I, I don't know if Washington at 47, but again, I was looking at more like, you know, the, the earlier, and I think, I don't think either of those, you know, first three teams, Chicago, Houston, or, or Arizona are, but like Denver's got to back picks, you know, and, you know, Denver's tied to, to Russell Wilson for at least another year, and they might be willing to eat that, that cap space, but, you know, uh, if, if they need a good fallback in case this Russell thing goes south, which last year couldn't have gone any further south, like, I think was a good spot los angeles again matt stafford is is hurt um and not sure if he's going to retire a year in and year out so like and 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 baker mayfield just signed in in tampa so the rams at 69 vegas at 70 bringing jimmy g in for two years uh that that could be a spot um and tennessee's a good one tennessee's a sneaky team that i think they might try to trade up and like for if, if they see will levis get to like in the seven eight nine range Tennessee is a sneaky team that I could see trading up and they, they have a new GM who's, who's trying to make a splash. So uh, I think Tannehill's probably got one more year. If I had to guess so, uh, in Tennessee. So I, I, they're a sneaky team, but you know, they're sitting at 72 right now. So there's a run of teams from 67 to 72 outside of the saints. The saints are tied to Derek Carr for three years. So that doesn't make any sense for them yeah. to the amount of guaranteed money they gave Derek Carr. But, um, but that range right there. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting little range too. If it does slip into the third round. Yeah, he's a he's a tough one to find a, a landing spot because it's like maybe he's good enough to start, you know, like a season or half a season. But it's like the the age factor, like when are you going to be able to play? You know, it, there's just so many question marks. And then you, you got to consider the learning curve uh, to an NFL offense from that Tennessee offense. So, like, I can see him being like a a nice like 
glue guy quarterback. Like, I mean, I think best case scenario, maybe carves out a Tyrod Taylor type of career where he, he gets a, a chance or two to start and, and, and maybe he's just a solid backup um, at the very least. Um, but man, it, it's, it's tough after those top four, man, it's, those quarterback landing spots are going to be real uh-huh. interesting because uh, they're, they're just, it just falls off uh, big time. It does. And I think it's important to point out that like when we're talking about Hendon Hooker, nobody's drafting Hendon Hooker and thinking this guy's going to start for us in a year. This guy's going to start for us in two years. Again, what, what people do, like what the Texans did with Davis Mills, they were in a rebuilding era and they said, you know what, whatever. Uh, and now they have the second overall pick. Kellen Mond was supposed to be the backup in Minnesota, but got cut after a year. Um, and then Malik Willis, again, I don't think the Titans drafted Malik Willis in the third round thinking this guy's going to take over for Tannehill, but it's a high ceiling player who will bring in. We'll see how he does. If you cut a third round pick, the amount of dead money you're eating is, is not even, not even like, it's so small. It's so minute that like a third round pick's not even that big of a of risk to take. So, uh, I, I think that's kind of the situation we're, we're talking about with Hooker as well. Not like, not a team drafting this guy saying, you know, but yeah, man, uh, Hooker's uh, landing spot is certainly going to be a um, uh, spot to monitor for sure, and, and we'll see exactly where he goes, but but certainly impressing uh, NFL teams. But uh, moving on, uh, one last thing we want to kind of discuss about the quarterback class before we move on is uh, a guy that uh, we're betting on to, to carve out a nice NFL career. Obviously, the, the top five guys are, are, are where they are, but uh, after those top five, you know, it's, it's really kind of a – choose your flavor, choose your upside and type of quarterback. And and I think we both can agree on the guy that, that we're both uh, leaning towards here. Uh, and that will be Jay Kaner from Fresno state. Um, a guy that just, just wins, man. I know, I know we talk about quarterback wins, not being a, <clears throat> you know, a stat to, or something to, to hold on to with, with a quarterback, but his, uh his toughness and, and ability to, uh, his accuracy throwing over the middle of the field and, and you know, uh, testing the boundaries and, and the connection he had with Jalen Cropper and that entire receiving core. Uh, Fresno State was a different team uh, when, when Jay Cannon was hurt and, and out of the lineup for, I think, over a month, maybe a month and a half. Uh, he got back. They won on a run and, and won the Mountain West Championship. So uh, he's a guy that, that I think is, is going to come in. Can't You do not expect him to, to start games or be a starting quarterback, but I think he can really carve out a nice career as a backup. And um, he, he does some really nice things, uh, you know, in the pocket, uh, out of structure. Not the biggest guy, not the most athletic guy. Doesn't really have the biggest arm either, but but he finds ways to, to make throws and, um, you know, layers toes over the middle of the field and, and attacking vertically. Uh, it, it's just fun tape to watch. Yeah, that Hainer's the guy. He's he's the guy again. Talking about you know day three quarterbacks in this class is it gets really murky after after Hainer. Um, and some people might not agree. I know Tyson Bajan has some fans, but I mean that's a big jump. And at, at the Senior Bowl, you know, I thought he he showed he could play with guys like Clayton Toon. And, you know, the other, the, and, and the other, uh, and guys like Jaron Hall, the other, the other quarterbacks who were at the senior bowl, but like, I also don't love Hall or Toon. So, um, really it's Hainer, uh, and then the rest. Um, dude's a gamer, man. Dude is just a gamer. Some, it's like he's got stones, some big time stones to sit in the pocket under pressure, get his eyes backside and just deliver a strike while taking a massive hit is like, it's something he does regularly. Like the guy gets so banged up all the time because he just takes hits like that. 
because he's not afraid to stand in there when he needs to stand in there and knows he's got a split second. He's going to hold on for a split second and, and deliver. So, um, so like that's, that's the, and he's accurate and he operates a short game at a high, high level operates a short game at a high, high level. And, uh, I always say like, uh, being able to operate the short game raises your floor significantly being able to create explosives and, 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 thread the ball down the field, raise it to your ceiling. I think Jay Kaner has a really high floor, uh, but his, his floor and his ceiling are, 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 are probably about, at about the same level. Um, but again, I think he can have a career like uh, Taylor Heineke. I think he can have a career like Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, where he, you know he has these spurs of, of, of pretty good spot starts that get him paid and get him gigs. Uh, but, but ultimately, he's, he's going to be a decade-long like backup slash spot starter. And I think... I think that's not out of out of uh, realism for a guy like Jake Hayner. Yeah, he's he's a the really solid quarterback, man. Uh, just really enjoy watching him play. Uh, obviously, got to talk to him in the combine. Uh, he's as in, as intense as he is uh, on the field, and um, you know, just really focus on on trying to get his team to win. Uh, you know, however he can do it, even if he's limping down the field, which he was doing against UCLA uh, in twenty one. Uh, so, so uh, a guy that's certainly going to be one to to watch over the course of his career uh, and see him uh, thrive in big moments. But yeah, other than that, man, the quarterback class is is really just is not much there. Um, you know, in terms of you know a, a guy you know kind of come out of nowhere and being a star, I don't really think we have that in this class. Um, I think it's I don't say it's pretty cut and dry, but I think. Uh, a lot of those guys are going to be projections. They're going to take, uh, you know, a couple of years to really develop. And maybe some of them will develop into to long-term backups. I could see maybe a Dorian Thompson-Robinson if he ever uh, cuts down on his turnovers and, and has more even-keel play. Um, but but really, other than that, man, it's it's not a, not a class where you're uh, you're betting on one of those day three guys to, to really pan out and uh, turn into uh, something more than – uh, a day three pick. Yeah, I think that's said. I think that's well said. And, you know, this is this quarterback class is a lot better than last year's. And I think we got spoiled by the 2020, that was the 2021 class with Lawrence Fields. You know, Wilson didn't pan out and neither did Lance. But like by all terms, that was a, that Lance hasn't yet, I should say. Still have a lot of hope for Lance. He's, his traits are phenomenal and I think he's refined as a passer. So if he ever finally gets the chance to see the field consistently, I think. Uh, that the sky's to the limit for him, but uh, it's rare to have a quarterback class with more than like two good quarterbacks looking historically. So when we get four, uh, even four guys that we're talking about in the top 10, like that's by all accounts, a, a pretty good class, like a pretty good class. Um, but, but outside of those four, again, like it really drops off. It, and the, which is what happens with quarterback classes. Like you don't draft good starters in, in the second round. I guess Jalen Hurts is probably the last one that's happened to Um but you don't draft like you don't find it's very rare to find that um, the decode like a Dak Prescott in the fourth round. It's very rare to find a guy like this. So um, it's a pretty good class four names, especially. And um, I'm excited to kind of to pinpoint these landing spots. Again, we all think it's CJ Stroud Panthers at this point, but but who really knows? Um, it's exciting times, man. It's exciting times. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to. uh now that we're past positional previews, excited for uh, kind of the the next project we're working on uh, that we're we're excited to share with you um, shortly. 
um and and that will result in uh you know multiple episodes a week again um after you know kind of our post combine trip and and getting some of these positional rankings done so excited to uh get to that next stage of um content that we're going to be producing leading up to the draft obviously outside talking uh, about draft prospects um but but also uh you know I don't want to give away too much so I won't say too much else yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. We're we're at the home stretch, man. We are at the home stretch. So, um, yeah, as Dev, just stay tuned. Just stay tuned because uh, we got some we got some fun stuff cooking. So, um, but that's it, Dev. Do you have anything else to add right now tonight? Uh no. Just make sure y'all check out the uh, the self stack. Uh, and make sure to check out the homage gear and um, you know, leave a leave a review if you have a question uh, that you want to answer on the pod. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Again, I I can say this next week, next episode, we are now that we're done with position rankings, we haven't done a mock draft since the combine and since free agency. Uh, the NFL landscape and NFL draft landscape has changed a little bit in that regard. Um, and so I'm excited. That's going to be our next episode for our second episode of the week. But again, hang on after that. It's going to get it's going to get a lot of fun. So uh, for for Devin, I'm Corey, and this is the Daft on Draft podcast.